on the blah blah bunker today we have uh, Jen Lederer um, that's with two N's very important uh, not one N um, wow she is from New York um, and is a motivational speaker uh, comedian and uh, she mixes um, kind of keynote motivational speaks with speaking with with humor and and comedy um, she studied dancing she graduated as a dancer she has written an album she has done an off off broadway play so she has always had this art artistic communication expression talent somehow but um, for a long time she didn't really know how to use it and she was trying to remain hidden somehow which is really interesting when you're career is all about um, and what you do is all about being seen uh, so we talked about that we talked about fear we talked about uh, corporate life and uh, humor and how to unlock creativity with humor um, where humor is going uh, how it is constrained and and by what um, there is no show without sponsors and that's Alfred Jobs Alfred.cz where you can find thousands of jobs in different industries and you can set up a job watch you can get notified when there is a relevant job and you can apply with one click and you're 100% anonymous available in English and uh, uh, Ukrainian and Slovak language uh, jobs all over Czech Republic and Slovakia Alfred.cz and then the old bar on Seifertova 21 in Shishkov which is the trendy area of Prague a trendy place in a trendy area uh, great oatmeal, great skier, um, organic uh, Icelandic skier made only for the old bar and different toppings that are made in-house. Um, there are some really good ones and there are stuff that there there's stuff available there that you would never have imagined testing in an oatmeal. Even the most uh, seasoned oatmeal eaters are surprised. And um, good coffee, great atmosphere, great staff, um, good location easy to get to so if if you're coming to Prague you need to check that place out the old bar and you can follow them on social media Instagram Facebook and, and stuff like that enjoy yeah. are you are you you're staying in Airbnb or mm-hmm. uh-huh. yep. is it expensive no it was it was great it's like 63 bucks a night yeah and yeah. what are you renting yours out in New York uh, 300 yeah. bucks a night. <laughs> no, I think like 150. The capitalist. <laughs> Come on. <Yeah. laughs> What's the line of what we're allowed to make? We're going to make that. <laughs> Is there a limit on that in, in, in New York? Like how much yeah. income you can... Oh, yeah. You're not allowed to make more than what you pay in rent. Really? Yeah, you can't make a profit. That's fucking communism. You can't make a profit off of it. I mean, I get that because we don't own the apartment. We're renting. Uh-huh. So, like, if I'm renting from a landlord and making a profit yeah, off of their yeah, space, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like ticket scalping or something. You know, you like, know, you're, or what is it called? And those guys that buy all the tickets to the Yankee Stadium and then sell yep. them for a... Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I get that. And they're trying to limit just how many... Airbnbs are being rented in New York because there's so many fucking people in the city. Mm. And so one apartment is now servicing how many people in a month. Mm-hmm. And that's just, you know, it's way more people. Everything's a hotel mm-hmm. now. So you're exploiting some people in, in the U.S. now to exploit uh, cheap Correct. prices? In- oh, oh, no, actually, they're all Europeans that are staying in our place. So we're exploiting Europeans. Europeans. <laughs> Been doing, you've been doing that for years. The American way. Yeah, I mean, look at the war now. The Americans said, yeah, yeah, no, Ukraine, we will look after you and blah, blah. And then, ah, we're not going to do that. No, Just switch no, off no. The, the gas to Europe and let them freeze to hell. Right, right. But we're going to cheer you from the sidelines and be the supportive mother that doesn't actually care. Yeah, I think I'm going to just let this roll, Jen. I don't think we need to... 
Um, so welcome. Thank you. Jen Lederer. Yes. Lederer, what does that mean? Leather maker. Yeah. In German. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know anything about that background, like the German family background or um just that we are we are cold in how we show love uh-huh. <laughs> uh so actually the the environment of prague is very natural com- not yeah it's natural it's very reminiscent to like no smiles very short conversation i'm like yeah this is home yeah i don't think it's rude at all i'm like thank you for getting to the point <laughs> but do you do you know yeah but the, do you know do you know like <clears throat> is it Five generations back that someone came from Germany. Do you know that part? I don't know that part. I want to say, if I had to guess, I would say three generations. Mm-hmm. I would say my great-great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any leather stuff, like pants or something? Or They're all vegan leather. They, they call it vegan leather these days. Uh-huh. So are, you, are you a vegan? No, but I do try to wear faux leather unless uh-huh. it's unless it's older than me. Like if the animal has been dead longer than I've been alive, then I'm cool with it. So you use only gorillas and, and elephants. People, Correct. Yeah, ivory are, mainly. E- yeah, extinct animals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. yeah, my entire house is ivory. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. <laughs> so you're you yeah we are in Prague. Uh, I found you on a comedy club. Uh, uh, advertisement like there's a comedy show tonight that i'm actually gonna go and see uh with my girlfriend and some friends and um oh yeah then i googled you yeah and, and it turned out that you're actually a funny comedian oh hey but yeah. you're you're more than that where are you i'm a oh gosh i am so much more than a comedian i'm glad you said that my mother will be happy to hear that. Um, I'm a keynote speaker. I'm a motivational speaker. I, When I first started comedy, I was describing myself as a motivational comedian, which drove comedians off an edge. <laughs> they were like, what do you mean by that? Why are you ruining our brand? <laughs> we're not supposed to be motivating people. Um, but my, <laughs> But my take on that is... You know, if you can expand your ability to be uncomfortable, to be in discomfort, that is the only way you change within yourself. Mm. If you're going to look at your own stuff, if you're going to look at your own limitations, your own fears, guess what? You're going to be really uncomfortable. And going to comedy clubs is a great like muscle in practicing being uncomfortable. So to me, that's always... As the performer then, or... or as the audience member, uh-huh. too. Like, get uncomfortable. Mm. See how long you can stand that. Because that's the muscle you have to grow if you're going to face your own stuff. So not, like, uncomfortable, like you need to shit on an airplane, uncomfortable. Uh, hopefully not. I mean, if, you're, if your belly starts to gurgle mm. during my show... I need you to get out of the room. Okay. Okay. I don't need that discomfort in my room. But this motivation. So, so you do that for <coughs> companies, right? Yep. And and uh, or schools and stuff, or who you know who's who's like a typical client. Uh, corporate more so than anything else. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. They have me come in because their uh, their people have turned into robots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know how to talk to them, especially now that a lot of people have been working from home. Everyone is so disconnected. Teams don't know how to communicate with each other. No one is, quote, self-motivated, which it's like, what does that even mean? They're working for you guys to make the money, not them. So what is it that you want them to really be motivated about? 
Um, so I, I go in and I help people figure out what makes them tick mm -hmm. through using laughter and not being like Mr. Chuckles in the office, because honestly, that guy's annoying. Is that Michael Scott from The Office? Precisely. Yeah, precisely. Like, <laughs> yeah, we all love Michael Scott, but only Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> when you actually have a Michael Scott in your office, That's you're horrible, like, yeah. yeah, you're like, please, can you not come in for the rest of the week? Um, <laughs> I have one of these guys in my office, and he's like, "That's what she said. That's what she said all the fucking time." <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, and anybody coughed in the COVID. Right. All the time. All the time. It's like get new material, yeah. Michael. Um, so yeah, like using laughter in in that way is is quite annoying. But in your own life, mm. like before you get to work or after you come home from work, are you enjoying your life at all? Mm. Are you laughing at all? Or are you just committed to the stress, committed to the struggle? That's something from my German background. Oh, we commit to the struggle. Yeah. Oh, we commit to life just being shit, you know? And so being able to break through that mental jail that we put ourselves in, and then when you have a challenge in front of you, when you have a problem that you have to solve, we say, okay, I have to get serious. Mm. I have to, I, th there's no time for laughter. But there is scientific studies that have proven that laughter activates what's called a vagus nerve. And that connects from your brainstem all the way down into your gut, which is called your second brain. Mm -hmm. And so when the vagus nerve gets... Like Las Vegas? Yes, That's except great. in this case, not everything stays in Vegas. It mm -hmm. goes all the way through your body, which uh -huh. is also a lot like going to Vegas. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yeah, yeah, you're going to get infected. So when the vagus nerve is activated, your body starts talking to your brain mm -hmm. versus your brain talking to your body. So you start to get those eureka moments, these ideas that we'll often get when we're in the shower or when we're on a walk and when you don't realize that your brain has shut off and you start to see things differently. You start to have a new perspective. You start to have ideas come forward that you never would have, quote, thought of on your own because your brain isn't functioning that way. Your body has so much information. Your body has information from, depending on what you believe, lifetimes ago. You know, your body has information from familial lineage. And there's ways to tap into that through laughter. I'm like, isn't that easy? Is it really that easy to tap into some of your most brilliant ideas? And it is. That's interesting. I, I, I think... <clears throat> I, yeah, I wanted to talk about that more later on about the corporate world and laughter and, and, and this seriousness. But the, this what you were saying about listening to the body. I mean, I get a lot of brilliant ideas. Most yeah. of my ideas in my mind are very brilliant. But, of course. but they come exactly as you were saying. They come when I'm running, when I'm biking, when I'm out with a dog. Yep. And I might even be listening to something that is totally unrelated to what... what what I then come up with, but mm -hmm. it somehow still motivates me, mm -hmm. and and I I definitely think that after my spending my time in the corporate world that it's very often missing. It's it's we are kind of stuck, as you said, as robots, mm -hmm. and we just keep going kind of through the motion, keep de doing the same thing, mm -hmm. and often not rethinking. Okay, so could we do this in a more clever way? Can we innovate this somehow? Can we, you know, make it easier? Can we make it more fun? Can we make it grow? Right. And is having fun 
equal to not taking it serious. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's interesting how we've tried to, um, like, people have walking desks now, you know, where they have the little treadmill and they're standing or they sit on the bouncy ball. Like, there's little things that people have tried to shift to get into their body while they're working. But I really think it's about when you're not working, when you are not staring at your computer. That's when the ideas really have the freedom to come forward because they're not coming forward for a purpose. Yeah, they're not coming off the screen within that environment somehow right and you're i i have a very close relationship to what i call my muse that voice that gives these creative ideas and my muse does not like to be used like if she knows that i have to do this to make money tomorrow she's like fuck you no i'm not showing up for that Mm -hmm. absolutely not I show up for no reason at all because i'm so fabulous that like I just make the world a better place. So you let me know when you're ready to just, you know, coalesce with me and then we'll get we'll we'll get it going. When you need someone like that, let me know. <laughs> exactly. But so so you're from New York, right? Well, originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but uh-huh. yes, I've lived in New York City for 15 years. Uh-huh. And uh have you been here uh, so you came here only for the, to do comedy or wh- why are you here? A little bit of pleasure as well, hopefully, but yeah, mainly comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you been here before, or, or? No, it's my first time. I've been to a um, leather, leather factory in Germany. Or? <laughs> no, never been no. to Germany either, no. but I, I hope to make it there. I've been to Amsterdam and Paris and Iceland, uh-huh. but those are the only other places that I've ever been, and that was back in 2017. And when, how was it in Iceland? How long did you stay in Iceland? Unfortunately, only three days. Um, I need to go back. Your women, Mm. the Icelandic women, Mm. the power, Mm. the leadership. I mean, even just the way that they roll in like packs. Like I was seeing packs of women come into clubs and not give a shit about the men. Like they weren't coming in to get attention from the men. They were coming in to party with each other. Mm. And that is not what you see in clubs in America. You know, they're very much like aware of where the men are and who's looking at me. And I just loved the energy of the Icelandic women. Yeah, they're very independent. I mean, I... I and I, I really like that. I mean, I, I think it's a great quality because um, it also kind of f- it makes it easier for men. Uh, <laughs> because oh, you, how? If you th- if, oh, because I don't know. I mean, like having a girlfriend or a, or or a boyfriend for that matter shouldn't be like having a kid. You know, it's not like you want to yeah. have someone that is insecure right. and and needs co- constant confirmation from you or or right. I don't know or support financially or what in whatever way that is. So. Right. So in in some way that it it's it's um it's a very positive thing and I I think yeah when you say it like I, I kind of thought that American girls would be the same way no it's th- with American women there is such an innate competition I've found and that stems from insecurity that stems from the story of there's not enough men. Mm-hmm. And you need to be chosen. And being chosen is the ultimate trophy in life. And until you are chosen, you are less valuable. So stay focused, ladies. 
get chosen by a man and then keep that man because if you lose him, now you're really a failure. And wow. like that is, I mean, from when we're little, we are taught that narrative. And I feel like a place like Iceland, that's just not a narrative that they're taught. They're taught, at least from the vibe I felt, it felt like these women were taught from a young age being independent is the value. Definitely. I, I And I saw that. I mean, and, and and we are also taught to look at them as equals. Like yeah, see, that's mind-blowing for Yeah, Americans. I mean, like for me, like, for example, when, when I when I hear something like a gender pay gap and stuff like that, I'm like, right. why, why would you pay a girl less than a guy for the same effort, same working, you know, whatever. I mean, that can be, that can be, you know, um, seniority and stuff like that. Of but course. if you kind of eliminate all those things, I think, um, I remember when I was starting my career, then we hired a lot of women and, and, and a lot of guys as well. And, and it was just always the same salary. I mean, why would it be different? You know, it's the same, they do the same work. Hello. You're, you're making a lot of sense. But I don't know. Maybe maybe it's also part of the social structure that we have. That we have like you know we have minimum wage. We have like pay grades and stuff like that. So yeah. th you have a lot of these guidelines. So the moment that you kind of would go out of them, mm -hmm. you're in hot water. You you, uh -huh. you know you you. So that helps as well. But I I I don't know. It just never occurred occurred to me that that a woman should somehow be less than a man or couldn't do the same as a guy does. You know. Right. Right, and that's baked into our culture. Mm -hmm. It's just what it is. the The idea that women are gonna get paid the same as men is a long shot mm -hmm. for Americans. Still, so that's the only thing you noticed in Iceland: the women. Oh yes, I. Mm -hmm. I mean, the men were all right, but well, I, I noticed the women more. <laughs> great. <laughs> they, they were very inspiring to me. But you saw some nature and stuff, right? Oh yeah, we rented a car and drove around, went to the waterfalls, yeah. saw a bunch of sheep. Mm on the hillsides. Yeah. Um, the puddles were some of the most beautiful puddles I've ever seen yeah. in the world. Clean Just water. Clean water everywhere. I'm like, Michigan needs this. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, It was it was just beautiful. Uh, the furs. Oh, God. Mm. I mean, talking again about animals sacrificing themselves for my fashion, but the, the fur scene mm. in Iceland, I was all about that. Yeah, I think we have bought, me and my girlfriend, when we go to Iceland, I think we bought like five furs for her there and all yeah. secondhand and, and like really cool stuff, you know? I know. So I can dress her up as a bear or a tiger. <laughs> there now you go. And, yeah. Whatever you're into yeah, that day. Exactly. <laughs> She's a seal today. <laughs> when, she, when you want her to clap for you. Yeah. <laughs> um... I don't know why we were talking about this. Yeah, so, but you're you're um, you're thinking about moving here, right? Well, I'm thinking about having a much more bi-continental life, uh -huh. where I'm in New York maybe six months out of the year, and then in Europe the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, as a comedian, the job is to be on the road. The job is to grow your audience and let people know that you exist. Mm. And for the most part. Um, American comedians do that through touring America. And I don't want to tour through America. I don't find it that interesting, to, the idea of going to, like, middle of Tennessee or Kentucky or, like, wherever and have to deal with their bullshit. I'm mm. like, no thanks. I don't love your perspective. Also, I've grown up in this perspective. So it's nothing is new. What you're hearing from me isn't that new. And what I'm hearing from you isn't that new. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go work the road 
in Europe with audiences who are probably a little more interested in my point of view because they don't really know how Americans are living. And then I'm also interested in how they receive what it is I'm saying. How American am I? You know, mm. and I, it turns out I'm pretty American. <laughs> like, but you, but you also, I guess, in in one way, if you see if you see comedy as a way of, because if you got a tour anyway, you got a tour. Yeah, you to got to get on the road. Yeah. So why not tour somewhere where you see something new? Yes, exactly. And and, and 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 use it as an excuse to be traveling around the world and be irresponsible and be drunk in a new city. And, Hello, yeah. you know, let's build it all into the business plan. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do. And they aren't worried that you're here because, I mean, there's a war in Europe. And Europe for yeah. America is just one place. It's one place. It's all connected. Every single message in my DMs right now from my American friends is, be careful. Don't go too much further. Like, you're you're so close. How is it over there? Like, is it scary? I'm like, honestly, I am more scared in New York City at any given time, especially through the pandemic. Mm. New York has gone way downhill with the safety and the homeless um, community. It's just, you know, it, it, it needs a lot of work. And so the danger that Americans are convinced is, quote, out there is right at home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I, I feel no different. And in fact, I feel safer when I'm walking around Prague than a lot of the times in New York City right now. Mm. It's a it's a great thing about this city here, Prague, is, the, is, is this fact that you kind of, you know, in those 13 years that I've been here, I've seen one bar fight. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I would, I would, I would tell anyone you can kind of walk everywhere in the city at any time of the day without having to worry too much, you know? Yeah. And we don't have these armed robberies and like, you know, a right. knife point on the street or anything like that. We, right. We don't, don't really have this stuff here. That's happening on a regular basis in New York right now. Mm. Random stabbings, people getting shoved onto the subway uh, tracks, yeah. people getting attacked in subway cars. Do you need Giuliani again? Oh, God. Okay. Well, I hope not. <laughs> he can have a meeting at the Four Seasons Landscaping. <laughs> right? When he did that press meeting. Oh that was my amazing. God. That was amazing. Yeah. How did that actually happen? Just How was that not a Curb Your Enthusiasm yeah. episode? Yeah. That was crazy. I, I, I God. I, I, truly, what we lived through in those four years is wild yeah. to look back on. Yeah. Wild. Um. But, uh, th th yeah, the U.S. sees Europe very much as uh, one place, right? Yeah. I mean, when I told people I was going to Prague, they said, where's that? Mm -hmm. And I said, look it up. Mm -hmm. I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Do your own homework, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Uh, and what do they think? I mean, what what does a typical New Yorker think of Europe in general? I mean, if if they haven't traveled, let's say, you know, what what would before you went to Europe, what was your kind of idea? Um. Well, if I do say so myself, I'm not a typical American. Mm. Um. I you know I was born in Pittsburgh, but I felt like a New Yorker my whole life. I knew I was gonna go to New York, and then when I came to New York. I felt the same way about Europe. There was a calling. There was a familiarity to the lifestyle, to being on foot, to not having a car, to, you know, everywhere you need in your life is kind of walkable or public transit. 
everything that Europe is really about is what I like most about city living. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I landed in Amsterdam, I've had that same feeling that I had when I was 16 and went to New York City the first time. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, this is everything I didn't know to ask for. This is everything that I wanted. And Amsterdam is reminded me so much of New York just without the undertone of anxiety, mm-hmm. <laughs> without that undertone of like, go, go, oh, go. Oh. Even though, I mean, you know, Amsterdam and so many of the European cities have this choreography through like the bikes and the trains and the like walking and walking. Everyone is just, they're moving quickly, but there's not this like get out of my way Mm -hmm. vibe. Mm -hmm. That's, that's very much a part of New York culture. Um, So I wasn't surprised by anything that I saw when I came to Europe the first time. It was very much a feeling of coming home, a feeling of, I belong here. When I go to middle America, I feel completely out of place Mm -hmm. i feel like i don't know what we have in common y'all have four cars and three people in your family like i don't i don't know what's happening here like Mm. there's way too much waste going on you can't walk anywhere there's only chain restaurants what are we doing Mm. what is this life no thank you europe is is like a full yes for me Mm. but i think regular um (laughs) I love how I'm othering myself. I am American, but regular Americans, my family members, there is a um, a sense of fear, I would say, in general, of, like, be careful of the pickpockets, of, mm. like, I, I feel like people still think that there's this um, culture of gypsies and things to be careful of. In Europe. Yeah, just, just Europe, just... Anywhere you go in Europe, you've mm. got to be careful of all of these things as if they don't exist in our backyard. And it's it's the same it's the same thing. You gotta be careful. You gotta be aware of your surroundings. This is something my father taught me since I was little. He said, use the hump three feet above your ass. What's that? Your head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you gotta be aware of your surroundings, know where the exits are when you walk into a place, and that's it. You know, like Take care of yourself. Do you carry a gun? I do not. You, I, I don't think New York has a carry. Uh, I don't think you're allowed to carry in New York. Uh-huh. Thankfully, I, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't want people to be able to carry in New York. No. Nah, we've we've got enough popping off in that city. But why is it like what, what you were saying earlier? You were talking about this aggression or or this atmosphere of get out of my way in the traffic, for example, in New York versus then more relaxed in Europe. Yeah. Why do you think this? Where does this aggression come from? Do you think? Well, uh, I think the the culture of nonstop working, mm. of you live to work, whereas I think over here you work to live. You know, like working is part of what you do, but life is the focus. Mm. You know, having good quality life, I think, is so much more of a conversation over here Um Ideas like siestas, you know, mm-hmm. like taking the afternoon off. Long lunch breaks. Long lunch. Like in Italy, they go home and they spend two hours at home with the family right. at lunch. Right. Taking real holidays, taking weeks off to really mm. allow your nervous system to calm down. We just don't have that. In America, even if you have, if you work for a company that says, take as much time off as you need, 
No one ever takes time off. Oh, because, because it's competitive. It's competitive and it's like there's a failure in needing to rest. Mm. We don't see rest as productive. Mm. And so it's just ingrained in us to walk faster, get there first, be the best, get up earlier. Mm. And, and then I, I think that's true in all of America, but then especially when you get to the cities, mm. specifically New York, it is just so intense of the nonstop go, go, go. LA, way more relaxed, mm. <laughs> but... Um, the East Coast, man, we are we are crackheads mm. when it comes to our to do list. <laughs> and it's not, it's really bad. It's not healthy. But I, I th this talking about like if if you as an American say these kind of things like um, yeah, um, wait, I work to live. I don't live to work. Mm -hmm. You're a communist. Like a lot of people would say that. Oh, you're sure. a fucking leftist or sure. something like that. Sure. And. And it's uh, the interesting thing is that I, I, for me, like, I mean, I hope I will be let into the states after saying something like this. And luckily, nobody listens to this podcast, so I will be let in. <laughs> but uh, I think it's a conspiracy against the people in some way that that there is uh, there are, <clears throat> you know, capitalists that are or people with money that 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 actually have a, an interest in maintaining this, mm -hmm. to letting people think that the only way is to work, mm -hmm. you need to take a short vacation, you need mm -hmm. to have a loan, you need to have three cars. They didn't build train infrastructure and, and public, uh, in, um, what's it called, public transportation. Uh, transportation infrastructure on purpose to keep people busy, to keep them occupied. Because if you're occupied, if you're just running the fucking treadmill all the time That's right. to make it, you're not looking at the other stuff. That's right. And... Uh, I don't know. I th I think it's it's very ironic. I, I read somewhere, but many many years ago, maybe that has changed. But there, I read somewhere that if 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 the U.S. for example would just shut down its military infrastructure for three days, mm. they could fund the whole school system for a year. Yep. So the priorities are very interesting there as well, you know, because mm -hmm. the priorities don't seem to be the people. The the people seem to be means of funding a system mm -hmm. that benefits. A few industries. That's correct. And mm. I we saw... And now we are communists. Well, listen. Mm. It is what it is. Mm. Whatever title you want to put on me, that's cool. Um, we've, you know, the pandemic allowed people to have that space to really think and look at how am I spending my time? Who am I spending it on? What am I really working toward? And... Capitalism did not like that. Mm -hmm. They did not like that we had a year and a half to sit around and think about our worth and think about what it is we really want to do with our life. And now America has a really big push on getting everyone back to the office, mm -hmm. getting everyone back into their cars back into commutes, back into spending money out on lunch, because that's how the economy works. It's, yeah, it's, that's how you power the machine. Right. People mm. have to be out of their homes. And for a year and a half, we were in our homes getting way too happy, <laughs> getting way too centered with ourselves. Maybe not happy. I don't think people were necessarily happy stuck in their homes. But we had time to think about it. And it's so interesting seeing the... Um, the push that they have to get people back into the office. And it's so clearly to benefit the businesses, not the people. Mm. And so people are pushing back and saying, I'm going to need you to give me a better reason 
that I need to come into the office, especially five days a week? What are you talking about? Mm. We've been more productive in these last two years than in the last five. So I need some reasons. One of my tin hat friends, um, uh, <laughs> my fellow conspiracy theorist, he, uh-huh. he um, I saw an interesting take on this actually. And, and he, he claims that actually the companies are using this as an excuse to get rid of the more expensive stuff and that they, they're then going to seek to either rehire people at lower salaries or something. So they're kind of using the office, mandatory office attendance as a way to kind of get rid of people. Yep. Um, because, <clears throat> I mean, it, it is it is clear that economically we're heading into some sort of a recession or something, you know, something must give, you know. Yep. And, uh, and companies, a lot of these companies that have been virtue signaling for all their money for the last one or two years or three years, they yep. they now, they don't want to come out and say, yeah, we're going to let 2,000 people go or 20,000 people go. Right. So they're actually using the office thingy as a kind of a stick, you know? Mm-hmm. And it will be interesting, but uh, good things could come out of that because, I mean, imagine all the, if, if all these people that have a lot of creativity and they kind of unlocked something within them during the pandemic, yep. they could create a lot of cool stuff. Yes. And there's a lot of talks of unionizing mm-hmm. in a lot of the companies. Starbucks is dealing with yeah. that right now. You know, people are... Um, Amazon as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are really starting to be like, listen, if we all band together, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's interesting what's happening. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in the next 10 years. Some good, some bad, some expansive, some contractions but um the the world as we know it is changing and that in and of itself is what's making everyone freak out Mm. because humans don't do well with change no but um usually contractions are when you give birth so (laughs) we we will give birth to a new correct reality somehow that's correct you can't expand without a contraction Mm. and vice versa Mm. my 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 chief concern if i look from a distance at the u.s is the is the deficit, you know, like I, I, I can't see that, you know, if, if U.S. would stop today and I would stop today, I'm better off. You know, my, my, my estate, my bankruptcy estate would be better than the U.S. because there is such a big minus on the budget, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, a lot of debt. And so, so I, th- I think, because I think a lot of these, um, um, I think corporates control gov- uh, government in, in the U.S. And then, so if, if you need that money to to make a better life for your citizen, whether it's healthcare, ed- education, or or holidays, or, what, or, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's going to have to come from somewhere. And the mm-hmm. government is never going to have the balls to take it from the corporates because they will threaten to leave. And they can leave yep. because we now we have a global community of, of business, you know? Yep. So... The only way to take it is to get more loans from the future is to, you know, print more money or right. take new loans. So I, I, it's, I think it's going to, it can be painful actually to, to transform. Well, it, all changes are painful when, when they are massive, you know? Yep. So it's, it's an interesting thing to, to watch from the distance and also in the light of the war, you know, to kind of see what role the U.S. kind of wants to play globally because I, you know, as you said, you're cheering us from the sidelines. Oh really yeah, we're active. the we're the supportive mother. You yes. know that we're doing our best. A soccer honey. moms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so um, you you said Pittsburgh. Yeah. Big big family or? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I have two older sisters. Mm. But the, you're the favorite. I'm the favorite, obviously. Mm. 
I don't even have any kids, and I'm still the favorite. Mm -hmm. I mean, my oldest sister popped out six kids, middle sister two, and I'm still six the kids, right? She needs help. Like, what is happening? And not, I'm not mean like a babysitter, more like a sexaholic. Uh, you, <laughs> well, I don't know. That might be me. <laughs> but yeah, she, listen, she's excited about it. She mm. loves being a mom. She homeschools. Wow. She's my polar In Pittsburgh? Or, or? No, she's in um, Virginia right uh -huh. now. Her, She's military wife. So her husband is in the Navy. Uh-huh. Pretty high up. He works in the Pentagon. And um, they're very Republican. Both of my sisters are very Republican. So um, these these last several years have have created a lot of tension mm. within our within our family unit. Um, we we agree to disagree on damn near everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we keep in touch for the benefit of the children. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're doing it for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, you hear about that here in Prague. You know, you oh, 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 once in a while. You meet people that are like, yeah, I'm married, but I have a girlfriend on the side. Yeah, okay, and uh, what are you? But I still live with my wife because we do it for the kids. And people do this; they do they sure. they actually keep that kind of family unit together for for decades, for that matter. And and then they just meet someone else, you know, yeah. or, or whatever. Which is fine, you know. But yeah, sure, uh, whatever works, as long as you're actually happy. Because mm. doing it quote for the kids, yeah. kids can read when you're not happy, yeah, yeah. and they would rather you just be happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, were you were you the clown in the family, like the funny kid, or or how how was that? Yeah, I would say I learned a lot of my biting humor from my dad. Mm -hmm. He's the he's the German, um, and it was like you had to have a thick skin to get through dinner. You know what I mean? Like it was very much who's gonna cry first, so that we can all gang up on you and make fun of you for the rest of dinner. Uh, it was a very intense environment, but and in then, a good way, or, or in a f yeah. I mean, not if you're the one crying. Like that wasn't a good way for you that night. But um, you know, my my boyfriend notices that my family's love language, if you will, is sarcasm. And it can get really sharp. It can get really rude and just straight up like, why did you just say that to me? And it's because we don't know how to express our emotions correctly. <laughs> so we just we just have things coming out <laughs> whenever it wants to come out. But I I would sit next to my dad at parties and hear him Like he he's not the loud one, but if you're right next to him hearing his one-liners, I learned how to observe the world through his eyes. Um, he taught me how to deconstruct what it is I'm seeing. He's an electrician by craft, but he's very much an engineer. Um, so he taught me a lot of how to observe a room, how to read a room, and how being quiet is actually the most powerful position in a room. Mm. When you're just gathering data, when you're just gathering information, you have all the power in the room. Um, so I've learned, yes, sometimes I am the loud one, but often I'm the quiet one. And then when it's time for me to talk, I'm gonna slay all of you because mm -hmm. now I've read the room for an hour and I know all of you better than you know yourself. <laughs> but was, it, was, was he... Um Was he tough on you guys then, or like, did they have a master plan for you? You're gonna be, uh, I don't know, a housewife with six kids, or or you're gonna be a CEO somewhere. I mean, was there a? 
No, I there wasn't a path. There was not a path. I have to I have to really like celebrate my parents for how different me and my sisters are. You know, I think that is a reflection of how they raised us to really find yourself and be that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I am not if I wasn't sisters with my sisters, we would not be friends. We have absolutely nothing in common. Mm. Um, but with how my dad raised us, he was not hard on us at all. I mean, his his bite is bigger than his bark. You know, he would definitely get loud sometimes. But that was after being quiet for hours. And then we were, like, poking at him and poking at him. And finally, like, the dog's going to bark. Um, but I was always drawn to comedy Jim Carrey is one of my biggest Mm. influences um, because of his physical comedy. You know, I would study um, his moves. When The Mask came out, God, I watched that movie front to back over and over again until I knew every single move, every single line. And um, Liar Liar as well. Those mm-hmm. two, Liar Liar and The Mask are like two of my most influential movies on yeah. my life. Um, if that tells you anything about me, out of, not out of Africa or something. Like <laughs> no, no, no. Listen, I, <laughs> no. I'm, liar, mine liar. is Dumb Dumber, so it's fine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, um, but I, I, I have a dance background, so mm. being in my body has always been what I looked for. Or what I like felt most natural doing, um, and so my my comedy. You'll see tonight when I'm on stage. I'm I'm pretty big, you know. Like I don't just stand in one spot. I move around. I tell the story through my body, um, and that's not something I've ever tried to do. That's just how I am. That's mm. just who I am. Um, but laughter, being quick witted, has gotten me out of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I used it in school. I used it to manipulate teachers, to you know, help people feel comfortable in a conversation. Like I have seen, even to get attention. Right, I was the youngest, so mm-hmm. yeah. If I can make the room laugh, then people are looking at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've definitely always used comedy in my life. Um, in a lot of different ways. Mm. But the but what what, what about school? You graduated from uh, university, right? You have you yeah, have a degree. It, it's called Point Park University. I have a degree in dance. Uh huh. Well, and so that was what you wanted to be—a dancer, or mm-hmm, that's what brought me to New York. And nobody else wanted you to be that. I mean, if that wasn't like you know the parents, like yeah, you gotta be a dancer or anything like that. You could just pick your own path. Uh my mom was a dancer who then tore her hamstring, mm-hmm. and so she was always very supportive. Living of, the dream through the kids, you know, maybe a little bit, maybe mm. a little bit. So there was no resistance from my mom when I said, I want to go to a pretty expensive school and get a degree in dance. My dad was like, are we sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you really sure? And there was just nothing else that I that I thought that I would want to do. And I, I would not change it. I would not go back and get like a business degree instead. Because again, everything we're talking about is learning how to connect to your body is a skill that I have taken for granted my entire life. It's something that I thought everyone knew how to do. And it's not. No. 
Like most of us are living from our neck up, Mm -hmm. right? We have no idea what's going on with our body. We have no idea what it's trying to tell us. We have no idea. I mean, even taking kinesiology, right? Knowing what the body is, how it's actually connected beyond head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Like what is this machine that our soul lives in? Like it's a rental car that we're driving around that we have no idea how it works. Mm. And um, when when I started speaking and taking the stage in different ways, I realized, oh, wow, I have a whole stage presence that most people do not have. have. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I definitely wouldn't have gone back and gotten a different degree. But when I came to New York, I immediately started sabotaging myself. You know, I was semi going to auditions and then getting callbacks, not showing up for the callback, like just getting all in my way mm. for several years. So, um, I mean, ultimately I was in a space where I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy of success, of being seen, of taking up space. Um, yeah, I was just, I was just really getting in my way. Mm-hmm. For a long time, but you do all these. I mean, you dance. You you were you wrote an album. Yeah, uh, and you were singing or or. Mm-hmm. Yep, I co-wrote an album called Anthems. Uh huh. And then now that's a cool name though, Anthems, because you know that's kind of like oh, these are yeah, just some anthems that I wrote. Yeah, you know, just some things to live by. And what's the name of the band? It was just me and a guy named Elliot. So it was uh-huh. Jen and Elliot. Jen and Elliot, that's, that sounds more like the little house on the prayer. <laughs> yeah, with a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah, little, little cocaine house on the prayer. Precisely. Oh, I need to check that out. Is it on Spotify or, or? No, we don't have it up. Elliot and I went our separate ways uh, due to drugs. He's doing actually. time now for the coke. Uh, <laughs> I he put it all on him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he listen. He's a he's an amazing jazz pianist and um, songwriter, and he still lives in New York and does his thing. And he's also the one that I co-wrote the Off Off Broadway show. What is Off Off Broadway? Because I saw this on your homepage. Yeah, it's um, it really is just about the size of the theater. So a lot of people think it's based on the location of the theater, like if you're physically on Broadway or not, um, and that's not it. It's just about if you're a 99-seat theater or less, that's off-off-Broadway. But why why didn't you just call it very small theater instead of off-off? I mean, off-off, I thought it was a misprint. Oh, yeah, no, no. It, I mean, it's specific to New York. It's very much a New York culture. But because Broadway is like the, you know, epitome of theater mm-hmm, performance, mm-hmm. everything is kind of built off of that. Yeah, uh, so it's it's like... It's just a, a way to tell people how successful you are. So off, off is like, okay, she's uh, still pretty shitty. <laughs> but is there like an off, 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 which is like a phone booth size or something? <laughs> no, no, but there could be. We could start that. Yeah. <laughs> That's That would be comedy clubs, off, honestly. Off, off. <laughs> off, off, off is comedy clubs. <laughs> um but uh, like, yeah, dancing and writing music, that's kind of more like a little bit of a serious thing, right? I mean, that that's... That's proper art. Comedy is just bullshit, right? That's what they say. Mm. You know, that's what they say. But <laughs> being a comedian, uh, it there is more writing 
that I do now than in any of those other art forms. There, mm. I feel like comedy, and you know, I, I suppose if I was still a songwriter, and maybe I'll go back to that, I would still see it this way as well. But with comedy, everything's a possible premise. Every part of my day could become a set later on, depending mm -hmm. on what happens. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I sit down and say, okay, now I'm going to write my set. What I do is I live life and I take notes in my phone throughout the day. What did I see? What did I hear? What did I experience? And then I'll sit down and look at, okay, what have I been observing and how does all of this connect? What themes am I seeing come forward? And it's really interesting how there are themes. There's a collective consciousness that I notice in like, common fights people are having, common misunderstandings, common miscommunications, things happening on first dates. Like there we're really there really is the zeitgeist, mm -hmm. you know, and tapping into that is the collective that makes it funny. Mm -hmm. You know, it's when people can sit there and be like that is so specific and I've also experienced that. Mm -hmm. That's that's what is fun for me to find. And what, what, so, but you kind of, because I, I get what you're saying is that, you know, like it's easier to incorporate everyday things into either comedy or music than it is into, let's say, dancing or, or a theater, you know, in, in some way. I mean, obviously theater is based on life and drama and, mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff, but... Mm -hmm. What, what was it like a natural transition to get more into the comedy part? Because then you you kind of go into the motivation speaking part as mm -hmm. well. That I mean, I guess the comedy is the link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the The comedy now that I look back on the fifteen years in New York, comedy was always sneaking up on me. Mm -hmm. Like the even the people that I met back when I first got to New York are people that are now in my life in the comedy world. It's like this thing had been hunting me for a while. Mm. And for two years before I ever officially did comedy, if you met me and said, hey, what's what's next for Jen? I would say, oh, comedy. I'm going to get into comedy. I'm going to get into comedy. And for two years, I threatened myself with that. <laughs> And I was doing my keynote speaking. I was a motivational speaker. And the feedback was always, your funny stuff is amazing. You're okay, imagined. so you started that before the comedy. Uh -huh, yeah, okay. I was speaking for five years. How, why, why, who, who, why did people want you to speak? I know, right? Like, what does she have to yeah. say? First of all, she's a woman. so uh, mm, Why do we even listen to her? Boring. Mm. Um, I was a talent manager. Mm. for a while so once I realized okay I'm getting in my way as a performer I don't know if I'm ever going to stop sabotaging myself so I got to just get out of being an entertainer for a while I guess and I got the opportunity to work at a talent management company and after working there for a year the guys who owned it were like we're not really into this do you want the company so I bought the company from them for very low amount. I got the roster of, of actors and I started leading workshops, teaching actors how to market themselves, what the industry is actually looking for, um, because I was a performer. And so I'm like, now that I'm on the other side of this curtain, I want to share all the secrets that I'm learning. Mm -hmm. I want you all to know that the people sitting on the other side of that table when you're in an audition, they're just humans. They don't have that much power and they want you to be good. 
they're sitting in that room for eight hours hoping, hoping, yeah. hoping you're the one. Yeah. Because everyone's coming in here being nervous as shit and they just want someone to walk in with some essence of confidence mm. and be the answer that they're looking for. So that's where I really started to getting into the motivational part of this mm -hmm. because I was managing artists and you know, we're neurotic as anything. Like every time I had an actor go in for a big audition, I had to talk to them beforehand, make sure that their, you know, mental health was in place. Mm. I had to talk to them after the audition. How are you feeling? Decompress them a little bit. Remind them that this is just one audition. You got to let it go. You know, you we say leave the blood on the floor. You go in, give everything that you have. You walk out and you forget about it. You have to. That's the only way you can get up every day and do that. And so working with the mentality of these actors is what taught me, oh, I have to like start studying motivation and what it really is. And if you're living in an industry that is 95% rejection, how do you do that in a way that where you're actually happy, mm -hmm. where you actually want to do it, where you don't get to the place where I was, sabotaging everything, feeling like you're not worth it, buying into the fears and the insecurities that tell you you're not the one they're looking for, when you very much probably were, except you talked yourself out of it. Yeah, I, 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 I used to go to a lot of uh, auditions here for advertisements and stuff like that uh -huh. uh, because there wasn't a lot of me here. Sure. And... Uh, um, and that, I can totally relate to this actually now when you say it because you know I would I would go somewhere and, and I kind of I, would, I had decided in my mind I'm not I, they're never going to pick me there are 300 other people here and blah 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 and then so I would find every excuse for even leaving before my turn came you know right and you know they even gave me the number and you know like you call, they would call your number you would go in and I was like yeah well they said that it would be an hour and now it's been an hour and five minutes I'm <laughs> leaving and I left and I you know I even started answering their SMSs how much is the money and like being arrogant up front so I, yeah. I just kind of ended up ignoring it and I yeah because I didn't think about it like this I mean obviously for me when somebody rejects me the problem is them <laughs> it's of not course. me of course. And, uh, <laughs> it's something wrong with them they just don't see the talent that's right but um, not everybody thinks like that. So I guess it can be really demotivating when you feel this rejection. Oh, absolutely. Especially when you're a decade into it, mm. 15, 20, 25 years. I mean, yeah. I, I was representing actors who had been acting for their entire life. And I, I take a lot of pride in how I was a talent manager because I really focused on managing the person mm. before the career. You know, like, how are you today? How are you being? Are you good? Have you eaten? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, kind of being a glorified babysitter slash mother, which is ultimately why I had to leave. I was like, okay, this isn't what I want to do for my it entire takes, life. It takes a lot from you as well, right? Oh, absolutely. And for only taking 15% of a paycheck, I was like, all right, we're going to need, we're going to need more. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we're going to need more from this. But that was, I consider the five years that I was a talent manager, me getting my master's degree in entertainment, mm -hmm. you know, like really learning the business business of show mm. and really learning how impersonal every decision is. At the end of the day, everyone has a boss. 
everyone has a bottom line and everyone has a person that they're answering to. It's not about you. Mm. You're not that special, honey. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really hard for actors to hear. That's why I stopped going to the auditions. <laughs> right. They're like, what do you they mean? Didn't, they didn't see how special I was. <laughs> that's right. But um, so then you, that's how you get into the motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you immediately, did you immediately start to kind of get in? Because I saw on, on, there's a really good video, guys, that are listening to this. There was a really good video on YouTube with uh, Jen talking for Google, like a Google keynote mm-hmm. or something. So did you immediately get into this, you know, talking to bigger companies and corporates and stuff like that? or, or? So when I, when I first started doing workshops, it was geared towards actors. And mm. I did that for about three years. And once I realized, okay, I want to sell this talent management company, I found a partner a woman from LA named Kate Kennedy. She still runs it. She's amazing. Um, And I told her, listen, I'm going to start my exit strategy. And that's when I started to pitch myself to corporate. And because I had really kind of built a reputation for myself in New York City as being a speaker, leading workshops, and just being a genuinely good person, like I can't stress enough how good you are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, how good I am. Mm-hmm. But the importance of just like being a good person in business goes mm. so much further than being talented, <laughs> mm. than being like anything else. What do you mean by good? Like being reliable, honest, um, or, or genuinely these... caring about the people that I mm-hmm. met? You know, like genuinely caring about the dreams that people had, about the insecurities that they were dealing with um i i care and but I, that's not very american i mean no, america it's not. is not about caring it's no. about making money and yes which you know i probably could have way, made way more money if mm. i cared a little less or a lot less but because of that i had a lot of people willing to vouch for me mm. and so once i said hey i'm pivoting and going towards this direction does anyone have any connections in the corporate world Mm. because I know business is relationships. And so I didn't want to start cold pitching anyone. And I got that Google booking from an actor who knew the woman who was booking that room. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, I went in and talked to, uh, that was a room full of like the quote leadership thought leaders of Mm. Google. Mm. I was going in to talk to them uh, about unicorns and trolls and rose quartz. And um, they 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 had a good time with me. They were like, what is this? What My mind is bending in a way that I wasn't prepared for. Um, it's the longest video I've watched on YouTube. I was... I, I, it's, an on, it's honest. I have, I've never... I never managed to watch anything more than like 10 minutes on YouTube. Yeah. And I watched your whole thing. I'm honored because when you told me that you watched that, I was like whoa, I don't think I even sat through the whole thing. No, and there are people, I've shared it with people now in the last two days that are watching and they, they fucking love it. You you can come here to Prague and there'll be a fucking red carpet for you okay. in the city just by people that I have brainwashed. <laughs> Good. Mm. Then my plan is working. I'm, a ta- I'm, in, I'm in talent management if you need any help. There you go. You, but you but so, it. but because on that, so if we talk about that Google talk actually what what i liked about it because i spent a lot of time in the corporate world um and uh it was always very serious and as you were talking about in the beginning using laughter to kind of unlock and and 
you know, not being kind of bogged down into everything is so serious. We're yeah. solving a problem. We're doing something challenging here. Right. So what I liked about that that speak was was that first of all how informal it was, mm-hmm. um, but still within the constraints of the corporate world, you weren't saying dick, pussy, ass, anal, right. butt plugs, or anything like that. Right. I got all that out before I walked in the building. Yeah. Uh, you did it like a pre-show in the cantina. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just five minutes. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and um, but also um, there, you were talking about authenticity, and and you start kind of off with um, um, how, let's say, motivation today is actually very watered down. Mm-hmm. It's all these slogans: mm-hmm. "Be yourself," and you see that on your Instagram, and then ah. Be myself. Yeah, of course. Why didn't I figure this out before? And then everything is different. Right. This is not the motivation that you do, right? So what I say to the people who are the just be yourself, live, laugh lovers is how? Like, sure, just be yourself. But what do you do when you don't know who you are? You've been busy checking the boxes, doing everything that society promised you. If you do ABC, you'll be happy. But you've done A, B, C, D, and E, and you're still not happy. And now here's a meme on Facebook just telling you to be yourself. You're like, how? Mm-hmm. Okay, today is Friday. I want to change my life. How? So to me, motivation comes through action. You cannot think yourself into positivity. You cannot convince yourself into a motivated life. It requires you to be engaged with yourself to be actively moving toward being yourself which means okay do i know who i am and that's a hard question for people to answer because oftentimes the answer is no Mm -hmm. and now here's the imposter syndrome waiting for you shit if i don't know who i am what am i even doing I don't have the right to go after what I want because I don't even know what I want. And now here's the spinning, right? We just spin in our own mind instead of just taking action. Take one new action today and see how that feels. Don't worry about being motivated. If you're waiting around for motivation, you're going to be in bed for the rest of your life. I'm not motivated to do anything. But once I'm in it, once I feel the flow, the motivation comes out after action that's what people don't understand they are waiting for the motivation to inspire them to get into action and it's completely inverted Mm -hmm. you have to get into action and then you start to realize "Ooh, when i do this i'm inspired when i do this i'm motivated when i do this people are engaged that's how i've built my entire career is by taking action, and then receiving feedback. Mm. That's how I ended up doing comedy. I was speaking. People said, your funny shit's amazing. I said, what if I took an action towards being a comedian? And that was a really scary jump for me to make because it's one thing to just be funny. It's another thing to claim I am funny, Mm -hmm. right? Because when a motivational speaker is funny, it's like, oh, oh, I didn't expect that. That was fun. But when a comedian gets on stage... You better be funny. Mm. The expectation is set. Mm. So 
now you got to show me what you what you got. And the way you're sitting right now, arms crossed, lean back, that's how most people sit in a comedy club. Mm-hmm. Right? They're like, that's how I'm going to sit tonight. Front row, please. Mm-hmm. Front row. Do not smile. You. That's no. right. That's fine. We can no. have a good time. No. We can banter. Um, and I and I live off of that because I grew up with the father that we talked about. So mm. I I can I can break someone down. But um Oh, I'm looking forward. Oh yeah, it's going to be a good time. Mm. But yeah, you got to just get get into action to find the motivation. But when you mean action, for example, I I I told you when we were on the way here in the limo when we were having yes, the champagne yes. in the limo. In in the jacuzzi in the yeah, limo. Then uh, I was telling you that I I spent um, a very long part of my career uh, as a CEO and I, I started very young so it it really formed my identity somehow yep. and not just my own but also kind of from the external environment you know people kind of saw me as this and I remember I had some friends that I was getting wasted with in, in some shitty house shitty, shitty places when we were like 35 and they said oh you haven't really changed even though you are a CEO and I was like what why I'm still me you know mm-hmm. but it 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 kind of took took a lot of me to kind of find a way out, and it was and it was the same actually with like relationships and 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 showing care to people, you know, because mm-hmm. I had built this uh, cold, ironic, sarcastic type that wasn't moved or motivated by anything, and just you know, fuck the world somehow, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then I was then I, I I thought okay it's not really going for me you know it's actually you know I'm I'm not able to connect to people in a fulfilling way I'm not able to get from them and give to them as I would like to mm-hmm. so I, I ended up I mean and there was a lot of uh, the, there were events in my family and, and close to me that happened that that kind of forced me into to going into therapy and then mm-hmm. I went there and then. Um, she said to me, what do you have to lose? Why don't you just try something different? Why don't you try, for example, being honest? <laughs> and I was like, why, why, why what? the fuck would someone be honest, you know? <laughs> well, whoever made anything from that, you know? Right. And and she, she was saying, and I think I'm kind of connecting to what you were saying. She said, you, you, you got to try it. Yeah. Just try it. See what happens. Mm-hmm. Because... The worst thing is that can happen is you find that it didn't work for you. You gotta try either a different kind of honesty or something else, you know. Right. And I think that, that I think that is, you know, because now the world is full of this motivation. You know, like the, we we uh, oh, have on our screen every morning when we wake up, there is something that is supposed to motivate us in some way. Right. And none of it does because no. it doesn't come with the how. Right. It doesn't come with the how, and it's not coming from inside of you. Mm. Right. It's this external. You can do it. And if you are sitting in a place of. So I'm I'm curious, if you don't mind, when you were, you know, a successful CEO and from the external, did people feel like, oh, you have it all. Therefore, you must be happy. Yeah. And then on the inside, you were like, but I'm not happy. I was rotten on the inside. Like, what is that juxtaposition for Mm. you when there's the external of being like, wow, you have everything. And then your experience of it is I'm empty. I can't connect to people. Mm -hmm. That is a mind fuck Mm -hmm. that most of us live in. Right. We have other people looking at us like, damn, you're on it. You get so much done. You're so productive. You must be so happy. And we sit there and and we almost feel a responsibility to say, yes, I am, Mm -hmm. even if we're not. Yeah. 
right? Because now it's like, well, I can't let them know that I'm not happy because then that might make them think that I'm lying. Yeah, or that I'm ungrateful or whatever. Right, or whatever. And so we we cultivate this prison mm. of lies, of facades, instead of just saying the truth, mm. which is I'm actually not happy mm. and I don't know why. Mm. That can be the most motivating thing you say that day. Yeah. But I also think with this, um, like... Um, and maybe that's the reason why there is this market for all these motivation slogans, let's say, and, mm -hmm. and memes and, and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Affirmations. Yeah, you do you, and, and right. but not the, not the you that I don't like. Just, just right, do, right, right, yeah. right. Within the confines yes. of what I'm comfortable yeah. with. And um, um, and I it made me think. I, there there was a girl who 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 um, was here on on like really early on, like one of the first episodes and she she has kind of specialized she has she calls herself the mindset designer and she was um uh focusing on these highly sensitive people that are very stimulated by light and noise and, and, and emotions and all that stuff. And when she came to talk to me but I'd never heard about this. I mean and it was very interesting to me to 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 learn about this and, and realize that this kind of personality trait is there. And then time went by, and and uh, COVID came, and 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 that we didn't meet, you know. And then we met, like I don't know, like two months ago. And I was asking her, so how? And she does a lot of other stuff, you know. She she's makes some books, and she does crypto, and like you know, she's like a mafia or something. Sure. And uh, <laughs> and she she told me, ah, well, the the highly sensitive thing is kind of watered out. And she told me that she's been following the hashtag on Instagram from like six, seven years ago when mm -hmm. she was starting this, you know, and now she said now it's everywhere. Everyone is highly sensitive. Every It became a commercial thing and the focus all became on negativity or victim, vict the, let's say the negative sides of being highly sensitive. Yeah. That, oh, is it hard for you to get out of bed in the morning? Uh, don't worry, you're just highly sensitive. Right. So it's giving people excuse yep. for being losers. <laughs> right. For lack of a better word. Right, and I would say an excuse to disengage for from, not trying from life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, I don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. Instead of that makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, I'm going to do the work to figure out what I have to do to be able to be more comfortable mm -hmm. in these areas. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're not highly sensitive. Fine. There are things you can do before and after going to an event to set yourself up to be able to engage with life. Mm -hmm. You know, when to me, something becomes a disorder when it is limiting your life, when you can no longer go there because you're an empath or because you're a highly sensitive person. Well, now it's a disorder. Now you should really like get into... Like, you can't go to a kindergarten because you're a pedophile. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's a major disorder that okay. needs to be extinct. Um, but, like, you... Uh, going back to comedy clubs, get in there and get uncomfortable. Mm. Get in there and see what it's like to be insulted. Mm. Generally, right? Like, listen, there's situations where comedians attack a specific person in an audience and that's that's one thing but when you are talking about in general a type of person or people that have experienced something again 
we think we're so special that the person is talking about us. Mm-hmm. The person on stage who doesn't even know that who I exist yeah. uh-huh. is obviously <clears throat> attacking me personally. It's like, how did we come so special? What has made us so special? Social media or what has made us so special? Um, I well, you know, we do all have access to a microphone now. Mm. We do all have access to a platform and to building our audiences and to having our own viewpoints. Great, that's fine. But it's still not about you most mm. of the time. Even when you're having a conversation directly with someone, it's not even about you. Mm. Like this is about me right now. And for you, it's about you. Mm. You know what I mean? Like we're all in our own world. We're all the main character in our own movie. And so we act as if that's the case when it's just not. You came into a comedy club to see someone perform and now you got insulted and you don't know what to do with that. Mm. And so now you have someone on stage that you can point to and blame for your discomfort. That on a larger scale is what America did when Trump became president. All of our problems, everything we were angry about, we had a person that we could point to and blame. That felt good. Mm -hmm. That felt really good. And we didn't want to admit that there was a part of that that felt really good Mm -hmm. to be able to just point at someone and blame. You're the reason for all of the problems in my life. You're the reason, comedian on stage, that I feel uncomfortable right now. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. The thing that happened in your life that's being triggered right now by what I just said, that's why you're uncomfortable. Go talk about that in another room to someone who cares. Because I don't care. Mm -hmm. Because this was never about you, babe. Mm -hmm. But this, but it's in, it's an interesting thing, and and kind of brings me to I wanted to, um, <clears throat> in the light of this uh, Oscar ceremony, Will Smith, Chris Rock thing yep. that uh, that happened there, that you know Will Smith goes on stage and gives a punch or a slap or whatever. People yep. have debated that what it was, um, yep. because uh, Chris Rock makes fun of his wife. Now, for me, like it's an obvious thing that. Um, in, in kind of the smaller context, looking at this particular thing, if I go to an event like this, I know this is going to happen, right? Yep. And I need to be responsible to be able to process it. Yes. What did you think about this? I mean, what, like looking at it just in the, in the kind of, let's say, the isolated event as a such thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's two sides of it. Number one, it was unhealed trauma on display, Period. Will Smith's unhealed trauma, Jada's unhealed trauma, their unhealed trauma within their relationship and whatever dynamic they have going on, all on display. Y'all did not handle your shit. But then, again, I know the business of show. I know how this machine works. And there is nothing said on that stage that was not cleared by every level of the Academy, including Will Smith. Mm-hmm. There is no joke set on that stage that is not cleared by everyone that that joke is involved. Chris Rock did not even write that joke. That joke was workshopped in a writer's room, sent up the ladder for clearance, and signed off on. That's the thing that I don't think people are talking enough about. The machine created that moment. Now, I there's the conspiracy that 
the slap was planned? Mm. I don't think so. I think Chris Rock signed off on that joke. Will Smith signed off on that joke. They maybe didn't know if he was actually going to say it. But you see in the clip, when it was said, Will laughs. Mm -hmm. Then he looks over at his wifey and realizes she's not laughing. She didn't like that. And now here's the unhealed trauma Mm. of he grew up watching his mom get abused. And so now he, like, to me, you can see. That's the trigger. That's the trigger. And I think you can see even physically he dissociates. His eyes change. When he walks onto that stage, everyone was like, what is happening? Like he, he became a Will Smith that no one recognized. Mm-hmm. And then we saw that happen, and he sat down, and he was screaming. And it's like, this is a manic. And he saw red. He saw blood or something. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, you could see that he was not there. And I'm sure... When he snapped back into his body, Mm. which if I had to guess was when Denzel talked to him, Mm. when he had a father figure come into his life and bring him back into his body, again, being connected to your body, y'all, it it will save you from sabotaging your life. Um, And then we have Chris Rock, who has the trigger of the abuse he grew up with. Mm. It's an incredibly sad moment of everyone couldn't handle that moment that was created by a bunch of people in an office somewhere who signed off and said, this is going to be hilarious. Can't wait to see how this played out. Let's put them in the, in the gladiators Coliseum. Let's let these animals fight it out. It's going to be entertainment. Okay. Good job, Academy. Yeah, we were talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, it's an interesting angle. I mean, I didn't think about it this, in this way. And I, I, but you're right. When you, when you, when you see this event and you see like Will Smith, he just, he turns into an animal, you know, like he, yeah. he's just fight or flight or something, you know, there's some, some reaction in him that, but so, but if we then look at it on a broader scale, like, and you, you were talking about it uh, before that, you know, someone comes to your comedy show and feels offended and makes the joke about them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just you're just telling a joke. It's not about that person, right? You didn't point to someone's wife and and make a joke specifically about that person. No, but in that case, yeah. in in this environment, like if listen, like, you're top dog. Will Smith is top dog in that moment. You have it coming. You're the king of the hill. Mm. Yeah, people are gonna jab on you because it's called punching up. Like mm. you're you're the target. You have to expect that. Mm. And I think. What made it like, because he didn't punch towards him, he punched towards the wife. Mm. And I think Will is also in his insecurities about how people see him right now because of their open relationship dynamic and this and that. And like, I again, it was just trauma that just came up and he just lost his shit. But anyway, what about audience members losing their shit? Also, they're drunk all the time, you mm. know? So you have that dynamic in a comedy club. Mm. People don't know what they're saying a lot of the time. And that that's the other thing when you're a comedian and you realize that people are getting triggered and that's the nature of this beast. We have to be able to not take their anger so personally. Mm-hmm. It's not my responsibility to calm you down. Now, if you start rushing the stage, I hope there's security. Yeah, but are you worried about this part now? I mean, like in general, for on the on the behalf of comedians... That, that this somehow set an example. 
Well, listen, women haven't felt safe in comedy this entire time. Mm -hmm. This is not new for us. Okay. We don't feel safe. I don't walk to my car by myself after a show. Really? I don't walk to the train by myself after Whoa. a show. Mm -hmm. Because people feel real familiar after seeing a comedian on stage. They feel like they know me, right? They because can approach you they can approach me. And I share a lot of personal stuff on stage. You do know things about me after you see me on stage. But you don't know me like that. Mm -hmm. You don't know me like you can just roll up behind me in a parking lot and say some shit. But that's how men have been acting this entire time. So, you know, I, I find it kind of funny that the men in comedy are now suddenly like, comedy's not safe. It's like, bro, welcome. Welcome to the party. It hasn't been safe for women this entire time, mainly from other comedians, by the way. Really? Other comedians in the green room I don't feel safe with. Other producers that want to talk about, suck this and then I'll give you stage time. Yeah, not safe. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've been on the defense for... Suck, this is not cocaine. Uh, unfortunately, no. no. You know? But, like, it it's funny to me that men are now awakening to the fact that there is a threat to being on stage. Because mm -hmm. that's been the women's experience this entire time. LGBTQ, trans, any minority group, they haven't felt safe this entire time. Mm -hmm. And so... This conversation is like, okay, now once the most privileged of the group feels threatened, now the change can happen. Mm. Now the conversation can happen around is there enough, enough security? Do people in the audience really understand what it is they're coming to? What is their right? You know, all, all of that stuff. Are, do you have the right to get offended? Of course you do. Of course you do. You do not have the right to get physical. Mm. Right. You can get you can hate me all day. You can disagree with everything I say. Don't touch me. Don't follow me in a parking lot after the show when I'm by myself. That's not the time, mm -hmm. you know, because now I feel really unsafe. You need to get a helicopter. Thank you. Can we arrange that? Yeah, a helipad on, on top of every comedy club. Correct. I will only perform if there's a helipad. <laughs> yes. And so now I Stay only safe. now I only perform for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but the, the offense in general, I mean, like I, what I felt like, I mean, I'm I'm old enough to 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 kind of have seen a lot of development when it comes to comedy and humor and, and what you can actually make fun of and what type of jokes and what words you can say. I mean, you know, like what was considered vulgar, stop being vulgar. And then, you know, like it, it moved a lot. And now I feel like it's it's a little bit because of this kind of rise of in some way an entitlement of not being offended of not being uncomfortable yeah or yeah uncomfortable and taking things personally maybe mm -hmm. like do you think it limits comedy or is do you feel that it's limiting comedy or, do, or you just don't give a shit you just go in with whatever you want to say i go in with whatever i want to say i don't say anything i can't stand by mm -hmm. you know that is the responsibility of the comedian. That's your line. That's that's where you draw the that's line. That's for me. Mm -hmm. And again, if someone gets offended by what I say, if you want to talk about it, I'm down. Mm. Let's talk about it. That's but not whole, in the parking lot. Not in the parking lot. Not when I'm by myself. Not when there's when it's dark. Mm. Um, but that's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of this art form is to get you to provoke. bend your provoke, bend mm -hmm. your mind a little bit. See it from this way. It's not a threat to you that someone has a different point of view. It's not a threat that someone thinks 
something's funny that you don't think is funny. Listen, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I think rape jokes are hilarious when they're done correctly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think women do better jobs at rape jokes than men do for the most part, but I don't think that it's off limits to mm. anyone. I think if you're talented enough, there is almost no topic that's off limits if you do it right. And if it's really pertinent to you, like there's there's some things that just, I'm never gonna have a point of view on because I don't have a point of view on it. It's not how I live my life, yeah, it's, it's not, not who I am. It's not within your kind of universe. Yeah. Right, and so if I just grab that topic and try and make a joke off of it because it's a hot topic, well, it's probably gonna be a bad joke mm-hmm. because I don't have an actual point of view, I don't have a personal experience from it. I'm just trying to it's like- not, The depth is not there on it somehow. Correct. And I think that's where a lot of comics get into trouble. They try and do the clickbait joke. They try and just do what's hot right now and have a hot take on it. And it's dumb. It's, it's like, like me bringing up Will Smith here. <laughs> just you know, you know, you got to do that a little bit. Mm. But that's pertinent to who you're talking to. Mm. You're not just bringing it up to bring it up because it's the time. Mm. You know what I mean? It's mm. you're talking to a comedian that is pertinent to this conversation. But I think a lot of comics right now. <laughs> they have this um, fantasy of being George Carlin, mm. of being Lenny Bruce, of being like the front lines of freedom of speech. Listen, at least in America, you have freedom of speech. There's just consequences to what you say. Mm. That is not lack of freedom of speech. That's freedom of speech from the other side. You say this, I say fuck Mm, you. That's mm. freedom of speech. Government is the only thing that can actually change that law. So until that starts happening, I don't really want to hear it. But this provocation that if we look at if we look at stand up comedy somehow as a because I think stand up comedy is also a very good kind of a socio I don't know the mirror of society or somehow or, or window into society, let's say. Sure. And uh, and if we look at it as a pro- provocation, and, and, and as you were saying, I mean, you have the right to react, you have the right to be offended, you have the right to be angry, you might have the right to be disappointed, but you just necessarily have the right to retaliate. Right. Now, I I feel like I, I started using Twitter for, I don't know, like a year ago or something, and I'm, f- I'm really fascinated by how many people have blocked me. Uh-huh. Like, people that I don't even know. Yeah. And... And they have blocked me because I maybe I write or I ask the wrong questions or I, I say something that they feel offended by. And and I've never blocked anyone. I would never block anyone. I'm okay, if someone would be maybe sending me personal messages or something and it's getting annoying, then I would maybe block them or mute them or whatever. But I would I would never block anyone because then they win. That's how I look at it. Okay, so that, that's what they, what they want. I, I will allow them to provoke me, and I will allow them to because also you never know. Once in a blue moon, there might be. Or is it blue moon or full moon? Blue moon. Yeah. Once in a blue moon, someone might actually say something that plants a little seed in my head. To, yeah, right. actually has a point, or she has a point, or sure. whatever. And and I'm thinking, I you know like. Now you, you you let's say you take an average person that maybe comes to a comedy show like let's say a thirty between thirty forty year old mm-hmm. has blocked everyone that has a different opinion and hasn't seen a different opinion for years and then you come on stage 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 and you talk about something that is hasn't even been on their radar you know that mm-hmm. they don't they just think it doesn't even exist mm-hmm. and it's such a mismatch 
Yeah. I, we, we can't block people in our real life. Mm. Like that's a fantasy world of being able to say, okay, I'm going to cultivate a, an echo chamber. Mm. Um, which is again saying I have no interest in changing or growing or stretching or challenging anything that's no in my con- brain. No, no contractions. No contraction, no expansion. Mm. And, you know, going back to the idea of motivational comedy, it's like get uncomfortable a little bit. I, I, do, I do block people. Um, mainly it's people who want to just send dick pics and, yeah, and stuff yeah, like but that. Yeah, it's, it's fine. I, but either you open a museum with it or you block it. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> museum of dick pics. Okay, <laughs> let, let's, we'll edit this out and we'll start this business. We're going to be so fucking rich. Okay. There's going to be a helipad everywhere. Great. Can't wait. Museum of dick pics. I can't com. wait. Um, Unsolicitedickpics.com Done. Mm-hmm. I think, because, listen, you're not going to get access to me if you don't know how to act you know Mm. what i mean even on my public forum but that's really the only way that i'm blocking people i'm not blocking people because you have a different perspective because those are my family members you know most of my family members have a very different perspective than i do Mm -hmm. on most of life Mm. and that's okay like there's Mm. still decent people who are functioning from the point of view that they are doing the best they can Mm. with the tools that they've chosen to pick up. It's just most people don't choose to learn new tools or try new things or look at it differently. But I feel like if most of the Twitter conversations were in a room instead of over the keyboard, they would be very different conversations because people can't say that shit with their full chest when they are talking to you Face to face, it's amazing the balls people have behind a screen. That's true. Versus when we are face to face, because there is an innate connection that happens when you're human mm-hmm. and you're just sitting across from a human, and you can see this person's trying their best, mm-hmm. you know, or they're trying to piss me off, but there's still like, so why are you trying to piss me off? Why are you so insecure? What is it about me that challenges you so much? I like that. I love that mm. interaction. I'm me like, too. oh, my existence is yeah, challenging I you. I love it. Awesome. I'm yeah. doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I've been I've been like that since I was a kid. I always loved that I could provoke. I mean, I got beaten up so many times and 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 bullied and stuff, but I fucking loved it. Me too. Every minute of it. Me too. I was always the protector on the playground. When people were bullying someone, I would go stand in between them and say, now you have to bully me to get to them. I bullied also. I mean, I... I, I oh, bu- me too. I, yeah, every... I was every multidimensional. Oh, me too. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like to stretch, you know, myself, as I've been yeah. saying, so yeah. I like to play both sides. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What about the, so in in the co- corporate so going a little bit back to that Google speech guy so when you li- when you finish listening to this podcast it's going to be like four hours and thirty minutes and <laughs> you can go and listen to Jen on her YouTube channel for like thirty minutes um, so there one thing that you talk about there which I what was like a eureka moment in a way for me is this is those fears and reconfirming those lies that we have convinced ourselves of of being the truth, of, of about being in a certain way, or that I can't do this, or I am like that, or I will always be a bad girlfriend, or I will always be uh, lazy at work, or whatever. Yeah. So, is this... So, what... 
I don't know how to. Um, how how common is this? Like, if you go into a company and that, like, because this is very personal. I mean, can you see this in a company somehow that that fear is the limiting factor here or whatever? Mm-hmm. Is it a collective fear or is it an in, the individual fear that you're talking about there? Uh, well, the company culture definitely has a lot to do with how. Um, free someone feels to share ideas to bring something to the table like it's very much a uh, leadership down vibe when it comes to businesses but then it's also again how are you living your life outside of this office Mm -hmm. because I think the strongest companies have entrepreneur mindsets Mm. working for them. People who are constantly looking outside the box, people who are constantly innovating themselves and their work, asking questions, being inquisitive. But when, you know, I was thinking before this interview, I absolutely hate the slogan, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Because fear as I talk about in this Google talk, is our personal detective. Mm -hmm. Fear is the thing that's showing us explore this part of yourself. If you are scared to speak up, the, the worst thing you can do is just avoid speaking up. You know, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Okay, well, I fear speaking up. Therefore, I'm just not going to go over there. That's exactly where you should be spending your time. Why am I afraid of speaking up? Is it because I believe I have terrible ideas? Is it because I believe that I'm stupid? Mm -hmm. Is it because I believe that I shouldn't take up space? You know, when we were talking about why I wasn't dancing and why I got in my own way, when I really took the time to get into therapy and look back at that, I was so scared of being seen. Why is that? I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty cool live, you know? Like- right. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the sexual assault that I referenced definitely... Mm-hmm planted a seed that happened when I was 13. Uh-huh. And so that planted a seed of not drawing attention, not drawing attention, not exploring myself. You know, that was like the first time that I really decided to try and explore myself sexually. And then it just went completely wrong. And I was like, okay, when I follow my intuition, when I follow a desire, it leads to pain. And it led to a lot of pain. It was my best friend's boyfriend who did it. And so I lost all of my friends in a weekend because he went and told everyone, Jen's a slut, she did this. The entire school within a weekend knew that Jen's a whore, she's also a bitch, don't trust her. So I really learned that my innate existence was a problem. It caused pain. And that that planted that seed and started growing in the fabric of who I was by me making sure I only took up just enough space, like not enough to make anyone uncomfortable. So then when it was, oh, I'm actually really talented. I could be a star on Broadway. When I started getting those auditions and getting the callback, I didn't consciously know I was doing this, but I was absolutely taking myself out of the running. Kind of repeating the patterns without thinking about it. Right, and just getting out of the way and saying, you know what, 
let someone else take that light. Let someone mm. else take that stage. Because honestly, if I start shining too bright, I'm going to cause pain. Like, I, it's just what happens. And so that was my fear of being seen, shining too bright, taking up too much space, being too much of who I am. And so I spent my 20s drinking that away, cocaining that away, uh, really doing my best to be small. But the thing is, it didn't work anyway. People were still noticing me. People were still drawn to me. People were still wanting my light. And it took a lot of therapy to get me to a place where I believed it was safe mm -hmm. for me to shine. So you do 180 degree in a way. I mean, because, uh, yeah, you, you stepped into the fear in a way. Like yeah. you're doing everything that you were afraid of. Yep. You take more space than ever. Yep. Like you... You go full on into it. Yep. And I'm doing it my own way. Mm. You know, there's a lot of rules in the comedy world of having to earn your stripes and ask for permission and da-da-da. And listen, I'm a businesswoman. I know how to market myself. I came into comedy already having a following. Mm. So I wasn't going to just ask for permission and wait for someone to give me stage time. My first show was something that I produced. Mm. My first set was 20 minutes long. That's not how most no, comedians do it. you're stuck five minutes right. if you're lucky. Right, if you're lucky and it's usually a shitty five minutes. Mm. I had a strong 20-minute set that when, when I was done, my boyfriend looked at me, he goes, I think you can actually do this. <laughs> like I was I just trying never, to be supportive. I never believed but in like, you, but uh, <laughs> you can do this. Well, I didn't let him hear my set beforehand. I'm, I'm very private with that, actually. Mm. Um, but until I get on stage. And so the first time I performed it was the first time he heard it. And he was like, oh, shit, like, you're actually really funny. I'm like, all right, babe. <laughs> like, How Jesus. long had you been together <laughs> when you found out that you were funny? <laughs> Three years. <laughs> oh, fuck. But, I, yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, in in some way, I I um, I think I have had an opposite. Um, I mean, I had a lot of patterns that I was unhappy with that I broke, but... When it comes to spotlight, and and I always took it whenever I could, mm -hmm. everywhere, and maybe that was to mask over some insecurities, other insecurities, you know that. But I I I loved stepping into it, and I always felt like, you know, I should be up there. I'm I'm the guy that should be on the stage, and I should be in that band, and I should be in that private jet doing sure. hookers and coke, you know. Sure. Um, but uh, I just bought a flight ticket then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking also with this, um, um, how are companies like corporates ready for humor as a motivation? And and like, how do you pitch this? I mean, that that's maybe more the thing because, I mean, and do you do you go to a meeting or somewhere at some big corporate and then you just tell a lot of funny jokes mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah, where do we sign? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, the worst thing you can do is try and be funny. Mm -hmm. That's the That's the least funny thing that anyone can ever do. Like what I do in co the corporate space is I listen, you know, I, I go back into my observational self very much. I try and do as little talking as possible so I can really get a read on where this company is, where they vibrate, if that makes sense. And how, what do you mean by that? What, how do you, where the pain is or, 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 or where they excel, where they're good or... or Both. So, mm -hmm. like, where is their flow? Where uh -huh. is thing really working? Where is it easy? 
And I look at why. Why is that easy? What is it about this area that everyone is just on? And then where is it about the sticking points? Is it in the sales team? Is it in creative collaboration? Is it within communication? Um, Because even just between how men and women talk naturally, how we naturally communicate, we can insult each other just by how we naturally communicate. You know what I mean? So there's things of just like how we be that can unintentionally create a really tense environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of some subco- subconscious ways that we, that we move in a, in a corporate setting for sure, because there is a lot of fear around saying the wrong thing, stepping out of line, um, going against company policies, right? So everyone gets very buttoned up and then we forget who we are. Mm. And then we're just trying to be the best employee. Yeah, and then just be he, part of the machine. And then here we, here we go again, checking the fucking boxes mm. and saying, well, I'm doing it right. But then you're not delivering your best work Mm. because you've taken the human out of it. So, I mean, ultimately, my pitch is I put the human back in your business. Mm -hmm. Like the the real heartbeat of somebody's creativity that you cannot drag out of them at a 9 a.m. meeting, right? You have to give that muse space I was sharing with you before we started that talk that I wrote. I wrote a week before I delivered it. Mm. I brainstormed on it for 45 days about. It was like a month and a half that I was thinking about it and thinking about it and wondering. And uh, the pieces showed up one by one. The unicorn revealed itself to me. The troll revealed itself to me. The rose quartz. Everything about that talk came to me. I did not pull it out of myself. And that's ultimately what I teach people to use laughter to do. I don't teach people how to be funny in meetings. Again, that shit's only going to get you in trouble. Michael Scott. (laughs) Back to Michael Scott. Scott. Back The callback. Bringing it back. Um, I want you to know how to unlock what it is you're ultimately trying to say through your work. And you you don't necessarily have to be able to be your full spectrum self in an office, right? Like no one has time for your sexual es- escapades and de- desires and fantasies in the office. Sorry, man, take that shit home. <laughs> but you can be aware of those parts of yourself. You can take the responsibility to integrate all of those parts of yourself and know I am bringing all of this to my job Mm. because those, quote, dark corners of your brain and of yourself might be the key to you unlocking a problem that has nothing to do with that. And yet you use that uh, pathway to unlock the problem in, like, accounting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make any, quote, sense you have to stop trying to make sense mm. of creativity. Mm. Like there, there's no fucking formula to creativity outside of you learning how it works for you. Yeah, and that was interesting. Like when this, when you mentioned this, and I guess it's the same for your for your comedy. I mean, that you you take inspiration, you brainstorm about it, and then you you can't really put this into a process. I mean, it's not like 
manufacturing a car, we can say, okay, we're going to set it up like this way, and that's this This is the conveyor belt here, and this is how it's going to work. This is going to happen after this, and that, blah, blah, blah. Right. When it comes to kind of these kind of things, um, everyone kind of has to find their own way, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you can't learn this except learning it on yourself somehow. And I yeah. guess that goes both for your content, for motivation, as well for your comedy, right? Yeah, the, the only way to do it is do it. Mm. There are formulas to writing a good joke. You know, there is a technique to writing jokes. There are ways to take something and make it funnier and to learn how to what we call trim the fat, which is get all of the words out of a sentence that do not need to be there. Yeah, I need to learn that. Okay. <laughs> get to the point faster. Um, that is something that I can use in corporate to teach people how to talk about themselves, mm. to teach people how to pitch what they do or explain what they do, um, because everyone has to talk about themselves now, right? Everyone has to be able to get on a podcast and talk about their work or get on a virtual networking event and talk about their company. Mm -hmm. And you can't just use jargon. You can't just parrot, quote, what you do. You have to be able to translate it and explain it to people who aren't in your industry, who don't know your jargon. Mm. And that is where the technique of writing comedy can come in really handy. And that's another thing that I do teach for, for corporate. Uh, but, uh, Jen, in, in this, what you do, both I mean, in, in the comedy and also in the in the corporate motivation. Well, actually, you said something. You said you wanted to bring humor into everything. When you overcame your fear, mm -hmm. you decided, I'm going to bring humor into everything. Why, why humor? Because you were always funny. Right. Yeah, I think for me, it's just one of the ways I learned I, I can unlock myself. You know, like when I can make myself laugh, and this is true for other people, our, our walls come down. Mm -hmm. You know, when someone laughs, there is an innate trust and connection that's built. And so, you know, when I um, work one-on-one -on -one with people, I try to get them to laugh because then they unknowingly start to be more honest with me about what it is they're scared of or what they desire um, because there's there's something that happens you know physiologically and otherwise that when we laugh there's room for oh, I can breathe this mm -hmm. doesn't feel so heavy it's safe it's safe. I can hold this a little longer. So when I decided, all right, I'm going to face my shit, <laughs> I realized if if it's going to be sustainable, it cannot be this serious slug through myself. You mm -hmm. know, like I have to have a good time getting to know myself. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. But but and, and it sounds where I, I think I read this somewhere from you or something but it sounds it was a very kind of conscious decision um, okay from now on humor is with me mm -hmm. yeah it it's just it's a part of who i am and, and you wouldn't let's say you go and become a i don't know a dentist wouldn't that be amazing yeah <laughs> will you be like <laughs> a, a super funny dentist uh, yeah i mean your mouth is already open so yeah. let's, let's get it going okay. <laughs> Okay, but um, uh, yeah, then yeah, that, what I kind of yeah, this was kind of a, an earlier thing that I forgot to ask you that I was curious about. I remembered now. Okay, uh, but uh, 
is there something about this that you don't like? Because I mean, you are you are like a one man show. Like you need to do everything. You need to market yourself. You need to brand yourself. You need to create a lot of. Con- I mean, you've been doing one video per, per day now for a year. Yep. And these are not like everyday videos. These are like edited videos, like with voiceovers and special effects and stuff like that. And, you know, bombs and car explosions. <laughs> That's and, right. And your dad is playing a major role. <laughs> and no, and I mean, you called the the Open Relationship Association about the whole Will Smith thing. Mm-hmm. So you're doing a lot of these kind of sketches. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And then you need to sell your time. You need to sell to companies. Mm-hmm. How to, how do you keep all these balls in the air, or and do you? Yeah, right. Well, some days no, <laughs> some days definitely not. Um, my I have a really awesome support system of friends, of other comedians, other entrepreneurs. Being around like-minded people is my lifeline. To number one, be able to have people to vent to that understand because. Listen, being an employee is difficult in its own way. I don't relate to that. I've never been an employee. I've been my boss since 2009. And I don't think I would be a very good employee at this point uh, because of that, uh, unless they really want to give me all the freedom that I require. But being able to go to other comedians or other entrepreneurs and say, I'm not crazy, right? Like, I'm not insane that Mm -hmm. I am just, like, attacking myself in every negative way, shape, and form right now, right? Like, you do this too, right? There's a lot of that. Reality check somehow. Yeah, and, like, I'm not alone in this. And having a place to voice it that other people can hear it and talk me down from the ledge or whatever, um, not staying completely in my own world is important. If I haven't talked to someone in a couple of days, I'm like, Ooh, I'm, I'm starting to sabotage myself. I'm starting to get myself in a little hidey hole. That's going to give me the excuse to not show up for the thing Mm -hmm. that I want to show up for. So really staying connected is an active choice that I have to make because I'm otherwise alone and no one's checking for me necessarily, Mm. you know, and because I present as very confident, very capable, people don't check in on me. Right. It's very much like you will assume that everything is fine with you. Right. Everyone's like, Jen's got it. Jen's good. I'm like, Mm. I'm breaking down. (laughs) I'm having a mental breakdown right Mm. now. Somebody please help. But that's my responsibility to reach out and ask for the Mm. help. But it's a one man show. I mean, you are the product. You need to create the product. You need to sell it. You need to collect the invoices. I mean, ev- everything, everything is on you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm payroll. I'm HR, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is a very full area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's the only way I've ever functioned. Mm-hmm. So do I? Do I? Uh, do I not like it? I think the alternative is worse. You know, having a boss to me is the ultimate fear. Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps me. You want to talk about motivation? The idea of having to go get a boss—that's what gets me up. I'm like, you know what? Make the make the phone call, Jen. You don't want to send this email, but guess what? You want a boss less. So <laughs> send the email. Make the pitch. But isn't it lonely sometimes, though? I mean, like. Yes, if I don't reach out. That, mm. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I have to have like-minded people. Going to co-working spaces, going to a cafe, like, getting out of my apartment mm. is important because I can spend days by myself if I mm. if I let that happen. And I, but, but I guess you're also, like, in in some way, you, you're, you're vulnerable because you're always putting it to you. Mm-hmm. You're always putting yourself. How do you take criticism if someone... 
I cry. I don't yeah. take it well. No, <laughs> um, I've gotten better at it. I I don't take it personal because again, I when someone doesn't like what I'm doing, that just means that I'm being really clear with my message. Because if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody, right? Mm-hmm. So the more people that I see unfollow me, when I know that I'm being like really clear with my message, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love when I see like. 15 people unfollow me from one post. I'm like, good. I'm being so clear that you know you don't fuck with me, which means that other people are inversely saying, yes, Mm -hmm. I like this Mm -hmm. because now I'm being clear. So I, to me, it's like if, if I'm not getting hate, then I'm probably not getting love either. I'm just like semi-existing in this middle world trying to please everybody. Which is impossible. Or or gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. Mm. So criticism is like, okay, good. I'm I'm doing it. I'm saying something Mm -hmm. that you have to criticize, that you care enough about to leave a comment on someone that you don't even follow, right? Mm. Because there's plenty of people who leave comments on my Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever, and they don't even follow me. Mm. I'm like, cool. But you took the time to comment on this, so uh, thanks for helping the algorithm out. I have, I have a, I have a strategy: post and ghost. <laughs> I, I, I love it, and I, lo- I, especially love it when I see that someone took the time and wrote like a long ass comment right. that is supposed to get me really angry, right? And I don't even respond to it. No, yeah, I don't, I don't respond to those, but I, but I leave them up. You know, I don't delete the the comment either because I want people to see that you took the time. Yeah. To give a shit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do the same. I, I don't, and I don't know. I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna lose the opportunity of, of seeing this, and, and I, I wouldn't wanna block people away from being able to tell me that I'm an asshole because sometimes I am also. Listen, sometimes, absolutely, you're right. Mm. I like, I, I'm, I'm a dick, and I appreciate mm. you pointing that out. But mm. like, I'm not gonna stop existing. No. You know, and. You- that's a whole other conversation, but I don't, I don't agree with cancel culture. I think people should be allowed to exist. I just mm. don't have to like what you say. I just don't ever have to watch your stuff. Yeah, and I think that that is where I, I feel like we should allow. So, for for example, I, what I don't like about cancel. Oh, let's uh, yeah. Oh, I don't I know, like. That's a whole. Yeah, it's a very it's a it's a uh, what's it called like the hole that rabbit hole. Yeah. Uh, and my f- tin hat doesn't fit on there. <laughs> and um, okay. Um, so tonight you're performing uh, your first first comedy show on a European soil. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be there. And and it was marketed specifically as a New York comedy. I mean, the show won't be out by then because I need to do a lot of editing on this. I need to, you know, lower your voice and raise mine. And right, right, right. Yeah. Bring myself out here. Yes. Um, Make the woman quiet. Yeah. Like we've been doing for the, the pot. Pat- What's it called? The patriarch. Patriarch. Yeah. I don't even know what it's called. I know. That's because Iceland has it right. Yeah. You don't uh, even know what patriarchy is. I love it. And uh, <laughs> I, trust me, I know. Um, <laughs> the um, it's specifically marketed as a New York somehow New York stand-up. Is New York humor different than anywhere else? I mean, if you go to a stand-up in New York and then you go to a stand-up in I don't know. I don't want to say Montreal. They fucked it up. Um, <laughs> let's go to Boston or yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. Is it going to be a difference? Yes, because New York oh. is a crossroads of an audience, right? So you're going to have Europeans, Australians, Middle America, New Yorkers, Long Island, 
upstate New York, Connecticut. And those are all very different points of view. And they're all in one room. Whereas when you travel throughout America, it's a little bit more of an echo chamber of points of view where like Boston is like a real Boston vibe and they're all kind of the same people. Mm, you can um, hear it, how they talk. Yeah, know. and even in Long Island, when you go just outside of New York City, it becomes a little bit more of a bubble of people. Where New York, you are performing for a really broad spectrum of an audience. Mm -hmm. And so it gives you a different kind of feedback. Um, I also think that the New York audiences are pretty smart. You know, they have a different level of developed humor. Um, they know good comedy. So they know when you're bombing. They know when you're not being funny. It, not that, like, middle America doesn't know what humor is. Um, but I've found that New York comedians are fast. Like, we are, there's just, the fact that I learned comedy in New York, I know sharpened my teeth way faster it's like the harvard of, of comedy right it's like you you gotta go and you're around the best of the best from the beginning mm -hmm. and they are setting the pace and you either keep up or you don't mm -hmm. you know you either meet that bar or you don't because there are plenty of comedians in new york you do not have to have that stage time mm -hmm. there are other people who are going to get that stage time and um i i love the fact that I've learned to perform comedy in front of New York audiences, I think it prepped me for a European audience because I'm used to not speaking to people who only see through the American no, not lens. Just the rednecks. Um, right. Not not just like not just those people. People that are married to their sisters. <laughs> right. Or but, ch uh, child brides. I, I it's actually interesting now what I was listening to you. I haven't really listened to you so far, but that now I kind of tuned in what you're saying. Welcome. Welcome to the interview. Good to have yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I think I've I've actually, I mean, apart from I've lived in Iceland and I lived here, so I've been to comedy in Iceland, I've been to comedy here, but the only place that it kind of came to my mind automatically to go and see a comedy was New York. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, like it didn't even occur. I mean, I went to one comedy show in, in New Zealand, but that was just kind of like, we didn't have anything to do. It was next to the hotel. It wasn't like a conscious, it was just like, yeah, let's just go in there and, oh, there's a comedy show. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I wonder why this is. Why Why New York brought it? I mean, I've been to Philadelphia, Boston, I've been mm -hmm. in, in LA, San Francisco, yeah, Vegas, everywhere. Mm -hmm. But somehow New York and comedy, that's more of a match. Yeah, I mean, I think the New York vibe is in and of itself taking jabs mm. right there's an environment of fucking with each other yeah, yeah. but in a fun loving way yeah, like yeah. it's how we show our love to each other um and then comedy in and of itself is very much an american art form mm. right it's it's started in america and there's not a lot of other art forms that i can think of that were really born in america um, and then New York was kind of the hub of that. Mm. L.A. as well, but I would say New York and Boston, honestly. It's, mm. it's very much an East Coast thing, thing mm. of we're going to love you and it's going to hurt. 
That's a good. That's a good way to say it. So, where can people follow you? That you have a, a web page. I will put the links to the episode description. But okay, good. Yeah, I'm at Jen Letterer everywhere. Jen uh-huh. double N Jen. Mm-hmm. I don't trust single N Jens. Mm-hmm. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. We've got a different no, that, vibe. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. Yeah. It's true. Jen, right? Jen with one N is more like a Karen. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. They're, they're, I want to talk to the manager. They're sh- okay. They have a lot of feedback. Mm. Single engines. I'm a double engine. A little softer on the edges. Still a lot of edge, but mm. softer. So anyway, Jen Letterer on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, JenLetterer.com, YouTube. Yep. JenLetterer.com. And, and uh, yeah, guys, go and check out definitely that. Um, any of you that, that are interested in anything that motivates anyone, check out that uh, Google keynote that was a great one i mean i just while i'm talking about that all the time i just haven't got around to look at a lot of the other stuff and then i checked some of the short videos that are also super fun and uh, uh yeah i'm i'll see you tonight it's gonna be fun you know yeah i can't and wait to see you crossing your arms and not yeah laughing. yeah i'm gonna be like a serious <laughs> poker faced guy yeah you're gonna be break down on the stage oh, this guy can't make him laugh he can't <laughs> he doesn't even smile um so yeah guys uh, follow the show and tell your friends about it and uh, uh, check out the YouTube channel I started doing those rants on YouTube where I talk about stuff that makes me lose followers and uh, it's it's I love it because I talk about stuff that nobody wants to talk about and I share that on my also on my LinkedIn page which is great because everyone has a stick up their ass and doesn't want to see stuff like this so check that out that's YouTube and it's ranting from the car because I do these amazing car videos and the car is not like somebody asked me if it's like a super big SUV it's it's not it's a mini but it's a wide angle camera so the car just looks big and I look slim (laughs) see you Jen thanks thank you